So last Sunday, we began a new series called 10 Traits, 10 Traits of a Fully Devoted Follower of Christ. Sorry about that. Last week, I reminded you of our mission at the bridge, and Kevin already got to restate that for you. It's in the program. I sometimes forget it's in the program. Uh, It's uh, right on the inside cover at the top. It's just so easy to overlook it. And our mission is what? Help people connect with God and develop them into a fully devoted follower of Christ. Is the sound a little bit tinny? Is that just me? Okay. Apparently not. All right. So uh, our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's very important. It's not just a tagline for our program. It's why we exist. It's very meaningful. Now, here's the question. If we are successful in producing a fully devoted follower of Christ, what does that look like? If you are successful and you become a fully devoted follower of Christ, what would your life be like? How would you change if you uh, are becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ? To uh, connect with God is about helping people begin a relationship with Jesus and understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for sin, and then helping them see that way we embrace that message is by faith. And that's the beginning. That's how we begin a relationship. And then we want to help people develop into fully devoted followers of Christ. And that's helping them grow as believers, as Christians. And we want to help them to become successful and become fully devoted followers of Christ. Last week, we talked about two different traits or character qualities. And the first one was related to God's Word. We spent a lot of time with that one because everything we talk about is really going to be based on God's Word. And God's Word says a lot about itself. And then it communicates to us who God is and who we are, and how to have a relationship with Him. We also talked about the practice of spiritual disciplines. And those are practices, things that we do that can help us grow. Things like read God's Word, or pray, or memorize Scripture, or tell God thank you, or give Him praise. Those are practices. So here are the two things we talked about last week. A fully devoted follower of Christ has a growing knowledge of the Bible, and is learning to apply it daily. So as you grow, it doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're in the process of learning God's Word and applying it. The second one was, a fully devoted follower of Christ practices regular spiritual disciplines. We're not trying to be legalistic. We're trying to help you see it's about practice, practice, practice. That's how we get better. As you read the word, it's easier to understand. It's easier to apply. It's easier to think uh, biblically as you learn. Um, And if you remember, the Apostle Paul said, train yourself to be godly. That's something we do. We train, we train, we train. That's our job. That's one of the jobs we have. Today we're going to talk about two more traits. We're going to talk about worship and lordship. And these are tied very closely together. And I think you'll see that. We're going to start with a very thought-provoking video clip. So please watch this closely. 
Has your worship become boring and uninspired? Doesn't feel as fresh and exciting as it used to, does it? And you know it's good for you, but you wish it weren't so bland, right? Well, cheer up, kiddo. I've got great news. Holy Bunches of Worship cereal is the answer to all your worship woes. Holy Bunches of Worship is quick, guaranteed to make you feel warm and tingly, and there's no strings attached. You worship when you want, at your convenience. It's worship made easy. Finally, a way to worship that fills you up, but lets you get on with your day. One serving of Holy Bunches of Worship cereal has been scientifically proven to fill your worship quota for the entire day, and in some cases, an entire week. Non-stop worship might have been okay back in biblical days, but that's because they didn't have real jobs. The 21st century woman has a lot on her plate, and she needs to be able to squeeze worship in when and where she can. Everyone loves the deliciously divine taste of Holy Bunches of Worship cereal. Even cranky old Moses couldn't resist these bunches. Just grab a box and start your day the warm and tingly way. Holy Bunches of Worship cereal. Because it is all about you. So, perhaps we could have some holy bunches of worship cereal. However, this probably will not help you become a fully devoted follower of Christ because it's not all about you. We're going to start with worship. And you can follow in your program on the outline. A fully devoted follower of Christ commits to regular corporate worship and actively participates in a small group. How about that for head on? A fully devoted follower of Christ commits to regular corporate worship. By the way, this would be corporate worship. And uh, actively participates in a small group. And uh, let, me, let me just walk this through with you a little bit. What is worship? Let's start with that. Here's a simple definition. Worship is an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. That's from Ronald Allen. Neat little book on worship. It's an active response to God because God has revealed himself to us and worship is a response back. God reveals. He loves. He sends his son. He shows us who he is. He answers prayer and Worship is a way to respond back. We say thank you. We, we give praise to God. We recognize him. We give the credit that's due him. And worship, by the way, comes from an old English word, worth-ship. What is God worth? And when we worship, we give him the credit. We tell him. Uh, we we uh, focus. We acknowledge his value in our lives. Worship includes several different elements. I'll just quickly go through a few of these. Uh, one of those is giving thanks to God. First Thessalonians 5.18. Just wait. We'll get there. Give thanks to God. Thanksgiving. God uh, reveals himself. He acts in our lives. And we respond back and say, thank you, God. And we can give thanks in all circumstances, good and bad. Um, thanksgiving is part of worship. It's an element of worship. Giving praise to God. We looked at this passage last week for Hebrews 13, 15. It's just uh, acknowledging his character and focusing on his character and appreciate him and expressing our admiration, our love for him. 
uh, giving financial resources to God. We just had that opportunity in Philippians 4.18. Uh, it's an act of worship, and it says that it's a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. That's how it describes the Philippians, uh, their, their giving of their financial resources. It's, it's, it's a part of worship. And the early church set aside the first day of the week to participate in corporate uh, financial giving. Another one is giving our bodies to God, Romans 12.1. We're going to look at this passage later. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, part of worship was offering animal sacrifices. And you know what? They, they killed them first. And then they put them on the altar to offer them to God. I don't understand everything there is to know about Old Testament worship. But I do get this. In the New Testament, God says that you and I are to be living sacrifices. The good thing is he doesn't kill us first and put our dead bodies on the altar. He says, I want you to choose to offer your body, offer yourself, offer your life to God as a living sacrifice so that as you live, you're living in submission to the true and living God. We're going to come back to this passage. Um, And uh, the most important command in the Bible is about giving our love to God. Giving our love to God. It was commanded in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's also repeated by Jesus, Matthew 22, 37 through 38. Jesus was questioned about the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. He goes on to say, if you want to sum up all of the Old Testament, this is the most important one, which makes it now the most important one in the New Testament. Love God first with all your being. That's not easy. I've been unpacking that for all my Christian life. It was really hard for me to say anything about love to anybody other than my wife and maybe my kids when I became a follower of Christ. I had a really hard time saying I love God. I said I appreciate God. I appreciate what he did for me. But to learning to love him, that's been a process. But that's about worship. It's about learning to love him and value him. So, These are things that worship includes. We could list other things, but these are some basic elements about... I want to just give you a picture of what worship is. Next, corporate worship is about joining God as he builds a worshiping community. Sometimes, I think in modern Christianity, I've seen this in my own life and in in the time that I've been a Christian and in the boomer years. um, There's been a real self-focus on being a Christian you know, it's me and my life, and it's about me and God, and what can God do for me? And there's been a big focus on, I'm, you know, I'm here, and I'm walking with God, and it's just me and God, and we're good. And, and there's also a growing, among Christians, a growing disconnection from church. And for a lot of different reasons. But what I want to tell you is that God desires us to be connected to a local church body. That's his plan. And so one of the things I'd say, if, if the bridge isn't the place you want to be connected, that's okay. You need to find a place where you can be connected to a local church that's healthy, where you're going to be able to grow and serve and become more like Jesus. Corporate worship is about joining God as he builds a worshiping community. 
For example, well, let's, um, it's a commitment to join Jesus in his work. It's a commitment to join Jesus in his work. Key passage here, Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This rock is the confession of his faith that he's just made in a prior verse uh, on this rock. It's not on Peter. Peter's not the rock that Jesus built the church on. Jesus is the cornerstone that the church was built on. But this confession that Jesus is Lord is what he's talking about here on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not uh, overcome it. This is a great encouragement to me. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. It's not a, you don't have to go do it. I'm going to do it. That takes a lot of pressure off. Jesus is building his church right now. But he's invited us to join him. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's invited us to make disciples, to lead them to Christ, to help them grow, teach them to to obey everything I've commanded. And guess what? There's a promise here. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. He's going to be present with us, with his worshiping community as we fulfill the Great Commission, as we help people connect with God, as we help them develop into fully devoted followers of Christ. Uh, It's a joint venture with God that he's invited us into. And the amazing thing about um, Matthew 19, Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you. I always say lo because it's one of the translations and I can't remember which one it is. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. That's if you're making disciples. There's no promise there if you're not making disciples. He's going to be with you to the end of the age. And why would it be that in some churches it seems like God has disappeared? Well, maybe it's because they stopped making disciples. And maybe it's because they're not, no longer following God's word. I think that can happen. Okay, another passage is Matthew eighteen twenty. He says, uh, for where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I, am with, there I am with them. And there's something, yes, if I walk out of here and I go home and I go down to the basement by myself and Sue goes outside to run, I'm there all by myself. Jesus is with me. But... There's something very special and unique when believers gather together in his name. A small group or a large group. There is something unique that Jesus had intended, and it's as he builds his church. This is what this is all about. It's Jesus and his people as he builds his church. Um, It's also a commitment to join other believers in his work. A commitment to join other believers in his work. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord. If you love me, keep my commands. And he's saying there's something, there's a correlation between love and following. Love and obedience. And this is a commitment to join other believers in his work. John 13, 34, and 35. I want you to see this in a new way. This is one of the best known passages in the Bible. It's not as well known as John 3, 16. This is way up there. A new command I give you, love one another. Greatest command is to love the Lord. Jesus gives a new command, love one another, as I have loved you. How is that? How much has Jesus loved you? Quite a bit. Interesting thing here, this is a, a, the Greek word is agape, 
It's a word for sacrificial love. It's a New Testament word. It doesn't really describe love outside of the New Testament. It's sacrificial. Same kind of love for God so loved the world. Same word, sacrificial love. This is a kind of relationship we are to have as believers. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, here's God's plan. Everyone will know that you are my, my disciples by the way you treat each other if you love one another. Oh, you already knew that, didn't you? Good. I'm glad you did. I want to remind you of how big a commitment this is. This isn't just let's sit by the campfire and sing Kumbaya. We used to do that. I didn't ever sing, but that's Christianity in the 70s. And, um, you know, I feel good. This, this is fun. We're here with people who were like-minded. Doesn't this feel good? But it's way more than that. How about wives? Think about this for a second. There's a command in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How big a deal is that? That's wedding vow serious. High commitment. It's not love if I feel like it. It's I'm love, I'm here to serve. That's what husband love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's going to be sacrificial. I'm committed. I have decided to love you. Woman, that's what it is. And John 13, 34, 35, it's the same word. It's love one another. Jesus intended there be a really high commitment among his people to each other. And he had a plan. He said, if you do this, the whole world's going to know you belong to me because it's going to be way different than everybody else. But we live in a day where we have so many different things to choose from. Sometimes, some are good Christian things. Some are just things. And, and our life just gets so scattered. And we only have a little bit of time for loving one another. And Jesus said, no, this is it. What I want to do is just raise your view of what God intended the church to be. That he had a plan about this new worshiping community. And the commitment would be love. And that's hanging in there. And um, somewhere, each believer needs to get connected to a church that they feel that they can commit to and that is healthy. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we do membership. We're going to start a class on Wednesday night. One of the reasons we do that is because we want people to be aligned with what we think, what we believe about the Bible, the people who want to commit to join with us. Because it takes a commitment. It's not just, do I feel good on Sunday or do I feel good? Because, you know, some days I feel good and some days I don't feel so good. But it's a decision. To love, it's a decision to be committed. Um, another passage is Hebrews 10, 23 and 25. Here's what I want you to see. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. See this. Let us. It's a we. It's plural. It's not let me. It's let us. This is to a group, a church. The worshiping community. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That's what I love about the church. It's amazing little things. You stand out in the lobby and talk with each other, and pretty soon you, you hear something, 
And it's a little bit of information that spurs people to love and good deeds. I can help. I can meet that need. I can help. Here's somebody. I'm going to pray for this person because they've shared with me. Now, we don't have super deep relationships in the lobby, but things happen when, when you get together in a group, a growth group. You, you hear it, and, and you can respond. We spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's care. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the day, all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together. You, know, you, had, you, you had to plan to be here. You had to be intentional. Maybe it wasn't easy for you to be here. And if you got small kids, it was hard for you to be here. Thank you for coming. But it's important. Jesus intended, he had a plan for this. Uh, it's his plan. It's his church. It's his design. And it's a commitment also to live out the Christian life in relationship to one another. A commitment to live out the Christian life in relationship to one another. I'm going to skim through some you already know. For example, the Bible says, be devoted to one another in Romans 12.10. That's not like, well, if I have time, maybe I will. It's, it's a high commitment. And I just want to raise your value of what Jesus intended and consider what, what other things should we be doing as a group of believers to grow in this area. Um, the next one is live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16, because God has a plan. And he says, you know, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you can live in harmony instead of fighting or being divisive, and I don't see any division at the bridge, and I don't see people fighting, but it happens in the church. It happens. Um, another one uh, is accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15, 7, because God has a plan for his church and how we relate. And um, you know what? We have people from all... This is just normal for the church of every age. We have people from all different backgrounds. They come from different homes. We all have stuff. We all have some dysfunction, you know? Different experiences. And God decided, okay, let's put these people all together into one and let's see how they honor God and show the world how to do it. Another one is serving one another in love, Galatians 5.13, because it's not about me. That's a consumer church if it's about me and, and my needs. But it, it's about my response to God. It's about the, one, the audience of one. As a worshiping community, we have one in the audience that matters. It's not about what people think. Also, uh, bear one, with one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. It means to put up with each other. It means to cut, a, cut each other some slack. Because we have some weird people in the body of Christ. And uh, we all have stuff. And you just got to cut people some slack. I'm one of the weird people, so I understand. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4.32, because God has a plan. And he wants to work out his plan in the church. And maybe people don't deserve you to be kind and compassionate, but that's grace. And that's what God wants to extend to people. And also in verse 32 is to forgive one another, just as Christ forgave you. 
And then who are you not to forgive? We forget that sometimes. We're to forgive each other. We're to forgive other people. Other people have offended us. They've hurt our feelings. And Jesus said, I want you to forgive them. And by the way, what standards do you operate from? Do you have higher standards than God's? Or do you have different standards than God's if you choose not to forgive? It's dangerous when you have different standards or higher standards than God's. When, you, when God can forgive and you can't. Uh, also, consider each other better than yourselves. Philippians 2, 3, this is about humility. This solves a whole lot of problems when God's people are humble. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is God's plan. And the last one I'm going to mention here, and there are a lot more, teach and admonish one another. This requires healthy relationships. If you're going to share with other people and sometimes even admonish or bring some correction, you've got to feel safe with the person. But we're to have those kinds of relationships. And usually that means that we know this person pretty well. Uh, we feel safe with them. We've developed a relationship. But we do need to care enough sometimes to confront or admonish. It requires humility, teachability, and a desire to follow Christ. So what have we said? A fully devoted follower of Christ commits to regular corporate worship and actively participates in a small group. God has raised up a worshiping community. It's not like, it's, you know, it's not going to change a lot as far as, you know, we can have different ways, methods, and different environments to worship in, and we can use different elements in the worship, but there are some basic things that will always be there. There will always be corporate worship, and there will always be corporate teaching. Sometimes the groups will be larger, and sometimes the groups will be smaller, but there will always be corporate teaching, corporate prayer, and then uh, one of the things we have is a model in the, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2. And by the way, that in, the Acts, in the book of Acts, where we see the early church begin and function, uh, they began meeting on the first day of the week, and they called it the Lord's Day. I don't think that's the only day we can meet on, but it's where the practice of meeting and worship came, on the first day of the week. Also, in the early church, we saw that they broke into smaller groups and they met from house to house. There's a place for smaller groups. That's why we like growth groups, because we think it's a fitting way for us to carry out things like loving each other, caring for each other, praying for each other, encouraging one another. It's where those relational one another things get carried out. That's uh, pastoral care. That's what it is in the body of Christ. The second one is lordship. And a fully devoted follower of Christ seeks daily to deny self and submit to the lordship of Christ. Jesus has high standards, doesn't he? These are big asks, big commitments for people to make. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a fully devoted follower of Christ, somebody who's all in in following Jesus. We're not talking about just being good Christians. I think we get this concept of good Christians, and we get C plus as a good Christian. But Jesus doesn't grade on a curve, and he doesn't give letter grades either. Um, but what he's seeking is people who will be fully devoted. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And let me just say, we're not looking at perfect people. We're, just, we're all in a process. We're all at different stages, and that's okay. Are you in a place where you're moving forward? That's what's important. 
So a fully devoted follower of Christ seeks daily to deny self and submit to the Lordship of Christ. Let's jump in. It starts with a commitment to place God's priority above all our priorities. This is a very high, uh, high standard for Jesus' followers. Uh, Jesus did not invent Christianity made easy or holy bunches of worship. Matthew 6.33 is where we'll start. But first, excuse me, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's just been talking about a whole list of things that we need. We need food and shelter and all those things that we have to worry about uh, where we live and pay our bills. Those are all important. And he says, I get it, uh, but I want you to select your priorities. Don't make them the most important. I want you to make God's kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. That's God's kingdom God's priorities, God's value system, seek that first. Make that number one. And uh, we are to pursue his kingdom values ahead of our own. Uh, God was very clear about his intentions. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. This is true in the Old Testament. It was also true in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, um, God... Or, well, God's people did this, but people, people in the ancient world, um, when they got religion and got religious, they wanted to make an, they made an idol and they made a man-made object that they could look at and that they could, it would remind them to worship the God of the sun or the God of sex or the God of whatever, the stars. And they, they would make an idol and they would, they could pray or worship or do whatever in front of the idol. And it, usually just probably represented some kind of demonic force. There was probably some supernatural stuff going on that caught their attention, and, and then they got connected with, and they made, with their own hands, they made something they could worship and that reminded them, and it was an idol. And God says, I don't want any other idols. I don't want any other gods before me. And all through the history of the Old Testament, God's people were tempted continually by idols, by engaging in the gods of their neighbors, in the gods of the nations, and they would try to mix them together. Let's have a little bit of the God of the Old Testament, a little bit of the Hittites God, and a little bit of the Philistines, and they would just mix them all together because it seemed practical. We want to get the best, you know? We don't want to just be narrow. We want the best of everything. But God said, no other gods. He was clear from the beginning. This is when he gave the Ten Commandments. Priority system, no other gods. Get it? Yep, got it. We're in, all right? Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he gave one of those hard passages to his disciples, and he said, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, if you'd have been there and I'd have been there that day, I don't think we would have had a clue what he was talking about. Later they will. He says, you're going to take up your cross. What's that? I've, I've seen how the Romans put people to death, but what's that got to do with you, Jesus? It's just like they probably didn't even think twice about it. Later they'll think about it a lot. Because what they're going to see is that Jesus took up his cross voluntarily. He could have escaped God could have delivered him, but it was God's plan. And he voluntarily took up his cross. He even had to carry it, 
carry the crossbar. It was pretty sacrificial. He did it for us. And uh, he was willing to follow God's will all the way to death. By the way, that's what it means. Take up your cross. Your cross isn't some little thing that is difficult in your life that, that God's brought on for you so you can suffer. That's not it. Take up your cross means follow Jesus all the way. Even if it's to death, it's to follow, no matter what, wherever. Um, we, we, we sang uh, the song a little bit earlier, which I thought was really appropriate. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Remember that? Holy Spirit, lead me where my trust is is without borders. Because we have a tendency to put borders up or boundaries and say, I won't go there. I'll do all these things, God, but not that, not that. And the prayer is, lead me to trust you, God, no matter what, even if it's death. And Jesus was saying, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow, follow me all the way. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their self? This is not the doctrine of salvation. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Follow him no matter what. Um, Next, it's a commitment to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus is a commitment to walk in the power of God's Holy Spirit. This section right here, I think, is the most confused part of believers' understanding about what it means to follow Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What I want to focus on is, this is the command, and it is to be filled with the Spirit. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You and I are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't get drunk on wine. The problem of being drunk is one of control. Whether it's under the influence of alcohol or drugs, something on outside thing, it's about controlling the person that are not acting naturally. In contrast to that, he says, be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Be controlled with the Holy Spirit because when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to act naturally or according to the flesh. You're going to have Spirit, Holy Spirit enablement to live uh, and follow Christ. So um, are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? You're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you? We are, and the next passage is, um, Galatians 5.16 so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh to walk means to, it's to live I like it because it's taking one step at a time baby steps I need to take baby steps during the day and throughout the day but I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and to do that I have to be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit so can I do that I just wait for a good feeling. Um, 
And the Bible says that um, if I do walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's, I can expect some significant spiritual growth in my life. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, you know, fruit is the outgrowth. Something is planted and it grows and it bears fruit. So if um, the gospel is planted in your life and you're given a spiritual life and, the, and you're given the gift of salvation as you grow, there should be fruit. And this is, this is an example of what grows as a follower of Christ if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, so if it's from the Holy Spirit, it's love. And that's that word sacrificial love. It's not just I feel good. Doesn't this, I feel so loving. It may be, it could be a feeling, but it's still, it's, it's I'm committed. I, I'm, I'm do, this is important. Love, joy, there can be joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness. And by the way, those aren't, these aren't natural for self-centered, self-focused people. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is really good, isn't it? When it comes to a lot of issues that we face, whether it's sexuality or food, a lot of different things that relate to self-control. And, and, but yet this is a, a fruit. This is a, a, the outgrowth, significant spiritual growth. Um, let me just go back and work on that. How can I know I'm filled with the Spirit? It's a command. So it's something, I, it's really important, I'm, I must do. And uh, there's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and, listen to this, being dwelled with the Spirit. Everybody who places their faith in Jesus is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God puts the Holy Spirit in them, and the Holy Spirit is in you if you are a follower of Christ, and He indwells you. But that doesn't mean you're filled. That just happens to be true about you. It's true whether you're walking with God or not walking with God, the Holy Spirit is in you if you are a genuine follower of Christ. But to be filled means to be controlled. And to be filled, you need to want to be filled. There needs to be a yieldedness of your life to God. It's really a, a significant part of this lordship issue. I don't want to run my life. I want God's help in running my life. First uh, John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us and purify us of all unrighteousness. So to be filled with the Spirit, one of the things that needs to take place is I need to be a clean vessel. I need to be cleansed. And that happens when I confess my sins to God. And I want to be forgiven. And I have that promise that if I do, I am. It's true. That's the power of God's word. It's real. It's true. If we confess. If I don't confess, no forgiveness. So if it's as a believer and I've sinned, I confess my sins. Now I'm a clean vessel. Now what? Well, why don't I just ask God to fill me with the spirit? Why is that important? Listen to this. First John five fourteen. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. I'm going to ask God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Is it his will that we be filled with the Spirit? Absolutely. If I ask according to his will, it's a good thing that I ask to be filled with the Spirit. And if we know that he hears us, 
Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. I can be guaranteed that if I ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit, he's going to do it. That's what his word says. You know what? That's living by faith. I'm trusting God. I'm believing what God said. Now I'm going to go do whatever needs to be done. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to trust God's in control. If I sin, if I mess up with my speech or my thought life, I just need to confess and yield my life back to Christ. And he's in control. And how can I tell? Well, over time, I'm going to see love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. These things are going to be more and more a part of my life. So lastly, it's a commitment to offer our lives to God as a living sacrifice. I said we'd come back to this, Romans 12.1. Do we have Romans 12.1? We do. The Apostle Paul writes, this is a great thing, 11 chapters into the book, there's only two commands in the whole book before this. Now there's going to be a whole bunch of commands. Well, the 11 chapters telling you about the death of Jesus and what it means, okay? And he comes here, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sister, in view of God's mercy. That's what the first 11 chapters are about. How much God loves you, what he's done for you, the death of Jesus, what that means, that you're declared righteous in God's sight. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I told you that worship and lordship are closely tied. If Jesus is Lord, it's about him being the master and you and I being the servant. It's about him being in charge of our life. And we also need the Holy Spirit to help us. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit to be in us so that we can live by the Spirit, walk in the power of the Spirit. And there are just different ways to talk about this, this yieldedness to God, the idea of total, I present myself totally, to offer my body to God as a living sacrifice. Why does he want my body? Because he knows all the trouble I can get it into. And he just says, I want you to offer yourself, be a living sacrifice for me. But you've got to want to do that. It's, nobody's going to force you or make you feel bad or put legalistic rules on you. This is your choice. And um, this isn't just something that I'm imagining here. This is what the scripture says. It's a very high commitment. But that's what leads to full devotion to Christ. So, as we close, I'm just going to ask, would you like to commit your life to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? For some of you, it's a recommitment. Yeah, I've, I've done this. This is what I want. I'm just asking, uh, would you like to recommit or renew your commitment to full devotion to Christ? And it's possible you feel you're already committed to full devotion and you don't need to do anything different, and that's good, and that's fine. So to start, we would start with a clean slate. Confession. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... Is there anything you need to confess to God? It's just between you and him right now. Anything you need to confess? God, I need your forgiveness. And be specific. That's what it means to confess. Confess means to agree with God. And then know that if you confess, you're, you're forgiven and you're purified of all unrighteousness. 
And then to offer your lives totally, offer your body, offer your mind, offer your, th- your thought life, everything. Uh, and another way we, we can just say, God, I want, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to be controlled because I want to walk. I want to live in the power of your Holy Spirit. And this is just all about being yielded. There's a lot of terminology we could use, but the big idea here is he's the Lord and I'm not. And I just, I want to do whatever. So let's bow in prayer. And um, just think this through. Is there any sin that you need to confess to him right now, privately from your heart? just remember that if we confess our sins, he that is God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. So if you confess, you will be forgiven. You will be purified of all unrighteousness. And Romans 12, 1 tells us to offer our bodies to God. So right now, I just want you to present yourself to God. I want you to offer all that you are to him. Whether you like yourself or not, I want you to offer everything to him. And a willingness to be a living sacrifice. The Bible says we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to ask God right now to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And just tell him you want him to control you. The amazing thing is is that God answers our prayers. And we can have confidence that whatever we ask, according to his will, that he hears us and that he answers us. So if you have asked him to fill you with the Holy Spirit right now, it's true. You are filled with the Holy Spirit according to God's word. And you can leave this place today knowing that you are empowered and that you have his strength. And just keep walking one step at a time. If you fall down, get back up. Father, it's my prayer that we as a church will grow in our devotion to you. That we will grow to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.